Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Hello, and welcome to episode 47 something very different for you this episode. A few weeks back I was mourning the end of the Knitter Journey podcast and having a little wallow in self-pity about the fact that I would now never be interviewed by the marvellous Susan from the Knitter Journey podcast and I was never going to be one of those who were in that podcast interview club. Well Susan listens to this podcast and she was delightful enough to contact me and offer her services to carry out the interview provided I was prepared to edit and put up the interview. Well, who am I to turn down such a chance for a vanity project? So I'm delighted to be able to say that last weekend on Sunday the 1st of April, Susan and I connected via Skype and I recorded the interview. It's taken me a while to edit it. Uh, If you think this is a long episode, you should have seen it before I edited out some of the things. It was a really, really interesting process, a delightful, a wonderful, wonderful conversation that I really was quite surprised by the direction it took in in many places. Uh, And the things that I said, I hadn't really prepared at all for the interview. I, I deliberately, aside from the normal daydreaming that I'd done in answer to some of the common questions that Susan asked uh, about your designing your own yarn store and who would you would have as a, a ditch designer you would keep as a pet. I hadn't really prepared for any of the other type of questions, so it was interesting to see where they took me. So I hope you will allow this moment of self-indulgence as I share the edited interview. Before I do that, I must just say that This was the first time I'd recorded directly from Skype. When I carried out a a previous Skype interview, I just recorded on my phone. But I was concerned that the length would be too much for my phone to cope with. And although it recorded and sounded clear at my end, there is an echo that I didn't hear at the time and has only shown up in the recording at Susan's end. So I've edited it as best as I can. And I've tried to balance the sound as best as I can. I also realised as I was uh, editing through it that... I forgot to actually mention something really fundamental about a word that I shared with Susan. And that is that its its meaning in most of the UK is not the meaning that the children around the Liverpool area ascribe to it. That word is pants. Okay, now, as I explained to Susan in the interview, in my area of the northwest where I teach, the children actually use it in an American sense. They use it to refer to their trousers. But actually, the vast majority of children across the UK, your pants are your knickers, your undergarments, things that cover your nether regions. And I didn't actually explain that to Susan, I realised, as I was listening back to the uh, to the interview and editing it. So I'm putting that in here now because it may help add even more to the conversation we have about that particular word. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. I certainly had a whale of a time doing it. Mm-hmm.
here I am talking to Nick of Yarns from the Plain podcast. Hello, Nick. Hello, Susan. Hello from Duluth. H- hello from Northwich. It's sunny today. Woohoo! Wonderful. <laughs> so far, it's a bit overcast here, but I think we're going to see the sun today. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, the first thing I'd like you to do, Miss Nick, is to please tell everyone on your podcast all about your podcast. Yeah, it's a slightly different slant than normal, isn't it? Um, but um, for those of you who might have stumbled across this for the first time ever, the Yarns from the Plain podcast is basically me sitting down with a cup of coffee and talking to you as if you were in the room with me. Sometimes I even allow you time to answer, um, but most of the time I just plow on regardless. I would love to think I was the kind of podcaster that would craft essays and thoughtful pieces but my life doesn't lend itself to that so my podcast is a little more organic and some may say chaotic um, than perhaps others but it seems to suit the listeners who stay and it certainly suits me right and let's back up a step and you can tell people all about yourself right well I am a primary school teacher, so hence there are times when I do record the podcast when I'm really far too tired to do anything possibly remotely resembling coherence, and I can sound a little bit manic if I've had a day where I've survived on nothing but coffee and chocolate. (laughs) Um, And I love the the side of, of my job, the where I work with children, but sometimes the bureaucracy can grind me down a little. And I picked up knitting seriously again about five or six years ago when I was going through a toughish patch with one particular child in my class and the the bureaucracy surrounding it. And I found that it stopped me wanting to kill anybody. (laughs) You know, how many times do you hear that? But the, the knitting I found very, very soothing. And that got me through into podcasts and all sorts of internet based aspects of the craft which I hadn't really thought existed and then after a while I started the podcast simply because my poor husband needed a break from listening to me running on and 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 on about About the knitting yeah because you know it's a little much for anyone to take Mm -hmm. and is that why you picked up the microphone I I think so um like many people that you've interviewed in the past the this bit is the bit where we say, and, you know, because Brenda Danix exhorted us to lift our microphones, uh-huh. um, it, it was a little bit of that. But also that I felt that there were very few, at the, at the time I started, there were very few British podcasters. There are more now, um, uh-huh. but at the time there were very few. And I just thought it would be interesting that perhaps people might like to hear a different perspective. Sure. At the, at the time there were maybe two I think so. Out of the think, UK at all? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, Brenda's based in Wales. Mm-hmm. But um, there had been Lipsy Nixit, but it had gone into a, a, a sort of a break. And I think she's only done one or two episodes since I started, anyway, to, over two years ago. And Electric Sheep was right. established. Right, and, okay. And, and I think that was about it at the time. But there's been a lot more since, which is fantastic, because you get a very right. different perspective 
Um, right. It was such a small country, but even at the size that we are, which I know our country could fit in some states. Um, but there's a very different feel if you live in the northwest of England than if you live in the southeast near London. And again, mm-hmm. a very different feel, completely different feel if you live in Wales or Scotland. I'm just waiting for an Irish podcast. Don't you think that would I was be just thinking that same thing. I don't know of anyone from Ireland. No, I'm not aware of any. So, But it, it's just, we, we're a very small country, but very diverse. And it just, it, it, I thought it would be interesting for a different point of view. And then actually I found people listen to me, which surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> and then more and more people listened. And then it, it kind of became what it is which is the me show. rambling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds really terrible, actually. <laughs> the next show. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I'm wondering what are the gifts that you've received from podcasting? The sense of community, I think, which sounds uh-huh. really weird because we're scattered all over the world. But, but it's are, true. There are people that I've met in real life through the podcast Mm-hmm. who have become people that I would love to meet up again and I spend a lot of time in contact with when I'm online. I'm not uh-huh. I'm not obsessive about Twitter. I have days where I'll tweet quite a bit and then days where I won't go near it. But it's nice to have the banter with the people that I have met in real life that I've met purely because of the podcast. Um, right. And it's given me the opportunity to meet and speak to people that I wouldn't perhaps have spoken to before. I mean, for all that I come over as a bit of a gob on a stick, um, which is a delightful northern phrase that you may not know. (laughs) (laughs) I've not heard that before. But yeah, gob on a stick. But I'm going Um, to use it this week. I am actually quite shy in social situations at times um, because I I don't often think that I've got something to say that's Mm -hmm. worthwhile. But it's allowed a contact point that's allowed me then to to talk to people because people will come up and speak to me, you know, thinking that, of course, they know me, which they do. They know an aspect of me. And that's that's helped breaks the ice for the my sort of natural shyness. And then we'll just chat on as if we have known each other for quite a while, which is probably the biggest gift. As I get older, I find it harder and harder to make new friends I don't know if that's something that people find generally in life I've never been great at it anyway um, and I think that's that's probably the biggest gift it's given me is the ability to talk to people in real life as well as the banter on the net god that was quite profound wasn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> way profounder than I was expecting <laughs> can I say something else there are a few other um, I think of them as Nick-isms that oh, no. from from time from time to time I'll say, uh, I don't I won't remember the the topic of conversation. But but once I was listening to your podcast and it wasn't very long ago. It's been within the last six months, and you were talking about something something that went completely wrong, and you just paused and you said, "Rubbish, absolute rubbish." And then later on there was a podcast where you something went absolutely wrong and. Oh, I'm going to forget the word. But it was something like hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. And I and I have those feelings about myself as a knitter from time to time. And I just pull out one of my nickisms and I'll say, Hopeless. This is absolutely hopeless. Excellent. 
One that you might want to try that, again, I picked up when I started um, working with children in the Northwest is pants. Uh, now, of course, in America, pants are trousers. Uh-huh. Uh, in the Northwest, where I, I live in England, the children talk about their pants as being their trousers. But it's also another word to mean rubbish. Really? Which something is utter pants. It's utter rubbish. And I, I just love, love that word. It's, it's pants. It's total pants. <laughs> and it's a and that's a northwest. That that seems to be something based around the the Manchester area, more huh. perhaps than than the Liverpool area. But it's I, I love it. Somebody on my teaching course used it, and we just loved it. We'd never heard it before, and it was just great. <laughs> this is absolute pants. It's absolute pants. Yeah. Pants. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a here's a question I don't I haven't asked very often, but I'm curious if there's a type of person you think would enjoy your podcast or the people who tell you that they like your podcast, is there a sort of a type of person? Um I don't know. I mean, I have to say that I've only ever met women who've listened to my podcast, but I do know that there are men who listen to it. Uh-huh. Um because there are men who've joined the group and men who've um, sent me rav messages about things within the some of the shows but in terms of a particular type of person probably someone who from what I've seen when I when I've chatted to people it seems to be the people who have a similar sort of outlook that you have to remember that the knitting is supposed to be for fun Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's supposed to be a fun bit and it's okay to throw it in the corner and shriek at it and <laughs> put it on the naughty step and mm-hmm. just go, right, you're just going to sit in the naughty corner for now because I'm not doing anything with you for a minute because it is supposed <laughs> to be fun. And I don't know whether they have a propensity for chaos the way I do or whether they just enjoy the smugness of hearing someone else's slightly chaotic <laughs> approach to things and thinking, I'm so glad my life's not like that. I mean, I listen to other podcasts and uh, with with a certain degree of envy. When I sit there and I go, God, I wish, you know, I I wish I was as prolific as Jasmine and Gigi seem to be. And so together. I wish my life was so well put together as some of yes. these other people. Yeah. Right. Because I kind of lurch from deadline to deadline be it a work deadline or a home deadline or a knitting deadline and I kind of just about I tend to bring it in under the wire just Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'll be you'll you'll know that the night before the cushion stuffing event for Woolsack Uh I will be stuffing and sewing and finishing the very last cushions until two o'clock in the morning even though I know I won't I don't want to be Uh uh-huh it's predictable yeah I am yep. nothing if not predictable. Yep, yep, yep. I do, the, I do the same thing. So please go back and tell me more about your knitting journey, how that began for you. I can't really remember, not the very first time. Um, mm-hmm. I was young. I was in brownies, which is your sort of equivalent of the Girl Scouts, but for the younger girls. Uh-huh. generally yeah. seven to ten but I, I joined a little bit late so I was definitely knitting at that point because I remember knitting some squares for a blanket to send to Oxfam or for, for Oxfam to send out to probably to Cambodia and I remember 
doing them in yellow and blue stripes, which is the colour of the of Oxford United, the football team that was closest to to the town I grew up in. But I don't remember being taught. I, I just remember knowing how to do it. Uh-huh. Um, and Mum can't remember teaching me either, but we've decided that she must have taught me. Um, and I remember making a very, very long scarf for a teddy bear because I didn't know how to cast off. So I just pretended that my teddy bear was going to be Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> because, of course, I am a child of Tom Baker with the very, uh-huh. very, very long Doctor Who scarf. And I didn't really do much. I know, I know I kept trying to do something so I could get the craft badges and brownies and guides, and I never managed them. And... I put it by and during my late teenage years I crocheted more than knitted uh-huh. um, I started a granny square when I was about 16 and it's now probably about six foot six. <laughs> oh my six goodness six. yeah I know I again it's it's amazing what you can do when you don't know how to cast off right you just right. keep going <laughs> um and I know I can hear you laughing going oh god um <laughs> and then I remember I remember picking up the needles a couple of times in my 20s. For some bizarre reason, I made a toy killer whale that I didn't finish. Oh, there's a surprise. Um, And that kicked around stuffed but with no flippers for about 13 years. (laughs) Uh, I finished it in 2007. Hurrah! So, um, Someone needs to soundbite that. That kicked around stuffed but with no flippers. (laughs) 30 years. That, do that, you think that should be it? Should I make a new promo? And that should, be it. That'd be the it could frame. be your tagline, stuffed with no flippers for 30 stuffed years. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, do, oh God, do you think that's going to be like an analogy of my life? Stuffed <laughs> but with no flippers. God. And then what, what really kind of got me thinking about it again in my 30s was I went on a maths conference, um, Association of Teachers of Mathematics. I th- uh-huh think if I remember rightly it was 2002 and I met um two I went on a a course by that was led by um the team behind Woolly Thoughts so that's Steve Plummer and Pat Ashcroft and they are or at that point they were two high school math teachers who explored pattern through knitting so they made these big afghans but they were all based on mathematical patterns Huh. or on um, exploring the idea of pattern from both a math side and an art side, because, of course, an artist would think about pattern in a different way to a mathematician. Sure. And, and I got quite intrigued. It was almost the first thing I did in a brand-new job when I, I stopped working in a school and started working um, for the local education authority as a, as a consultant so that meant I went around and helped schools deal with any issues they had in maths. And I got quite inspired and went and bought a, a absolute shed load of acrylic, um, which I think is still lurking behind the chair in the office, and started trying to sort of play around with some of the ideas. Didn't get very far, but I found it quite soothing. Put them by again, and then the fun fur craze of 2006 hit. So I made a fun fur scarf uh-huh. out of some, I can't remember what it is, Serdar Fizz, I think, which is just... Uh, quite horrid collection of bits of fluff and paper caught in a central core uh-huh. that was quite gross um <laughs> but then the end of that year was the the year that i had um the the difficult child 
in my class and uh-huh. that coincided with a colleague having a baby and I just thought I want to knit her something and so I started uh, by knitting a blanket in acrylic and then have never stopped really I discovered sock yarn before I discovered socks and decided that that looked quite interesting so I taught myself how to use DPNs um, to make some delightful hats that Christmas I made an entire load of acrylic bobble hats for my husband (laughs) and his family Um, which we all well I didn't put a bobble on his I didn't put a bobble on his dad's either but I did put a bobble on his mum's and his sister's I didn't put a bobble on his brother-in-law's and we all went out for a walk on New Year's Day wearing these hats (laughs) we literally we came out of the we came out of the house turned the corner bumped into someone they knew and she looked at us and went oh I can see what you've all got for Christmas and he was like oh my husband kept trying to walk about like six foot behind me (laughs) or six foot in front his was kind of quite you know as tasteful as an acrylic beanie hat goes it was okay it was blue and he still wears it now if it's cold but you know in a bit the way that Doug has his hat that he still wears even though you'd rather he didn't exactly yeah the same thing um uh, but we were all there with these enormous bubbles and I mean enormous you know it's just I cringe now just thinking about it we were like the bobble hat family and we all went off in these (laughs) bobble hats same pattern but just different yarns and and because they're made up of acrylic they're not even very warm uh-huh, and uh-huh. so they're just they're just not very nice but I was so proud of them at the time because I'd learned how to use DPNs and I didn't know anybody <laughs> I didn't know anybody who knitted with DPNs my mum I don't think my mum has ever knitted with them um although my dad says he he reckons she has made a a pair of socks for him so I don't know um so you felt like a knitting ninja oh absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. once I'd kind of done the first bit that felt like I was wrestling with a hedgehog um the the rest of it was fine so once I I you know thrilled with my success of that I sat down on um New Year's Day and started knitting a sock uh-huh. and just kind of carried on from there really so and now I've done all sorts you know 21 pairs of socks a few jumpers all sorts of things I like I'll knit anything really uh-huh. and I think I'm more of a process knitter than a product knitter because I, I just enjoy actually the process I uh-huh. think you could probably put me on a, a desert island and with one ball of yarn and one pair of needles and I'd be quite happy because I'd knit something and then I'd rip it out and then I'd knit it again I think I would probably do that until the yarn fell apart and I don't think that would bother me actually <laughs> I don't know what that says about me but it's it's the whole action the whole repetitive action that soothes me. Mm-hmm. So where are you with your knitting and where would you like to take it? I would like to be more confident about making garments and feel that I was actually making something that fitted properly. Uh-huh. I tend for, to your, for, for yourself? Yeah, I tend, yeah, I've tend to go on for things that are biggish, which don't probably do me any favours and, and aren't very fitted because it it requires less shaping so I'd quite like to have a go at something in a I think make myself something a garment that's not actually in um, iron weight or heavier Uh I think that would probably be 
you know, one step. I would really like to make something a fair isle vest or jumper that involves sneaking. Mm. That's the big thing, really, that I haven't done that I would like to have a go at. And that's that's kind of, that's it. But not as in, that's it and then I'm done. Because uh-huh. I think you, you keep learning anyway. Right. You just, you know, you learn how to avoid mistakes that you've made before sometimes. Or sometimes you just make them again. Um, <laughs> sometimes and then go, oh, we do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember last time I did this, I said I was going to do such and such. And I didn't. Right. Oops. Right. Um, but those are the big things, really, that I would like to tackle at some point. And I've been saying I'm going to do some steaking for about three years now. And I still haven't got around to it. I think possibly because I keep thinking that I need to find the right pattern with the right colours that will suit my figure. Because, of course, what you tend to see with these lovely vests is you tend to see quite slender figures in them. Of course. You know, what I've got, which if I go for something that's slightly too much negative ease, it it does look like I've got a whole load of puppies fighting in a sack. (laughs) and there there are two things I could do for that is one I could actually pull my finger out and and exercise properly and eat properly and lose some weight Uh, and um, you know the other thing is just go well maybe I just need to not make a fair R vest but maybe the kind of urge to make a fair R vest is strong enough to actually get me down the gym properly maybe that would be good wouldn't it wouldn't that be interesting if knitting was your gateway to the Iron Man Ultra Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with the need for a Fair Isle vest. <laughs> Do you know, I bet there's nobody in the Olympics who would take, say that as their motivation. That's right. You could be the first. Yeah. Maybe I'm a little you old for the Olympics. 15 minutes of fame out of that. <laughs> I could get loads. I think I could get, I could milk more than 15 minutes out of that, I swear. <laughs> With before, take your before pictures now. With yeah. Your... <laughs> oh, that would be funny. All right. With whom do you share your knitting? And this could be things that you've knit, or it could be your knitting time. I've shared my knitting with most members of my immediate family. Huh? Um, although I don't tend to very much I'm quite selfish um I I learnt how to knit lace because I wanted to make something beautiful for my mum and I made her a forest canopy shawl um out of posh yarn but it was a sock weight so of course it's not that very very fine lace knitting um, that you get when you work with lace weight but I was really proud of it and I loved it and I gave it to her and she opened it and she went oh now I really am an old lady (laughs) and i vowed then i would never knit her anything again um i have cracked that that was absolute pants that was i i my husband had to restrain me (laughs) he looked at me and he just thought she's gonna kill her she's absolutely gonna kill her um i was quite hurt But then I I knit a pair of socks for my dad and my mum kept nicking them and wearing them around the house because they were just a little bit too big for dad. And Uh so not Christmas just gone, but the Christmas before, I did actually make her a pair of socks of her own 
uh-huh. to wear around the house and she absolutely adores them. Oh, and you found the thing. It, yeah, and it's really interesting because they're not a colour I like particularly. Uh-huh. They're, they're a lot of pastels. It came in a sock yarn club, um, but it's really nice, soft. Um, it's got merino and some cashmere in it, I think, and it's just really nice. And I just thought they would be quite nice house socks, but I didn't think she'd like the colour particularly. Uh-huh. But I don't think she cares about the colour because she wears them around the house like a pair of slippers. But she feels more comfortable in them, I think, because she's reached that age. She's sort of past 75. Uh-huh. And I think she's reached that age now where she worries about wearing slippers that she's going to get tangled in them and fall. And I did make her a pair of little frilly... <laughs> I made her a pair of gorgeous Mrs. Beaton's at Christmas mm-hmm. to go uh-huh. with a lovely coat she had. Oh, right, um, right, right. And it was a, a lovely grey woolen coat. And, uh-huh. and these were soft, light grey with beautiful beads on, very bling, very gorgeous. I thought they'd look lovely coming out of the bottom of the coat. And I gave it to her and when she came up at Christmas and she hadn't bought the coat with her. And I said, oh, I, I, I thought you'd be wearing that coat. And she looked at me and she went, no, I only bought that coat to wear to funerals. <laughs> And I've made him a pair of glitzy cuffs to stick out of the bottom of them. <laughs> well, you want to have your bling at the local funeral. Well, yeah. I just, you know. Um... Because <laughs> she, you know, she just gave me that look that says that this is where I am in my stage of life, that I go to more funerals than anything else. Sure, sure. You know, and, and you just, you just, I just felt dreadful because I just hadn't even thought about the fact that it was a grey coat for funerals. I'd just seen, oh, she's got this lovely new grey woolen coat. Uh-huh. These, these Mrs. Beaton's coming out the bottom of that would look gorgeous. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. <laughs> So now they could be black. I suppose you could knit black lace gloves or something. I, I could. For I? her. I could do a, a dark pair. There you go. <laughs> Without the beads. <laughs> you could put beads so, in the shape of a skull or something like that. Something very that, morbid. Yeah. 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 My mother, the goth. Right. <laughs> so, no, it's, so I do, I have made something for everyone. The person that has probably got the least... Um, is my husband though because he doesn't wear jumpers at all Uh he's naturally one of these people that is always just in shirt sleeves yeah I I have this husband as well he runs warm yeah so there's there is no point putting any effort into knitting him anything particularly woolly sure he'll just overheat him Mm -hmm. so I I did knit him um, another hat that's like a skateboarder's hat with skull and crossbones around the outside, but then I nicked it because I liked it so much. And he has a, a scarf that I made out of um, Noro. Uh-huh. Iro, I think. And that's that's really rather rather gentlemanly, if you know what I mean. It's uh-huh. quite subdued colours and looks quite nice. And he does have that in the car, um, so that if he goes... He doesn't tend to wear it much in Britain, but he's had, he travels around Europe a reasonable amount for his work. So if he goes to somewhere like Denmark or Finland in the winter, then he'll take them. Sure. And I just, I, I want to find a nice hat for hat pattern for him so I can make him a decent hat to replace the disgusting blue acrylic one. But other than that, I tend to actually, I'm, I don't, I, I, babies, I knit for babies. Oh, okay. So if any, anybody I work with has a baby, then... They, you know, the old needles go. Do you have a stash like of things? things? 
Or do you knit no, as they I come? Don't. I, I tend to knit as they come so that they can, the mums can have a bit of a choice about colours and things. Mm-hmm. So, so the latest one has requested anything with lemons and greens in it. Ooh. Even though she suspects it's a boy. Uh-huh. But she says she's still like creams and neutrals and lemons and, and mint green. Well, that'd be fun to work so, with. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go for that. That's all right. So I think probably a baby surprise jacket because I like those. Mm. And they knit up quite quick. Mm. And they're different. Mm. So the ones I've given in the past have always had a good feedback. What? And in terms of who I knit, knit with, uh-huh. it's... It, it was a knitting group, although that's fallen off a bit this year. It's been a bit manic, and I haven't got to it very often, and I miss it dreadfully. Um, but I do. I did used to go to a regular knitting group um, in a shop in a town a couple of uh, about six miles away. So the so, group still exists, but you. Oh, the you group still exists. Going. It's just okay. that I've kind of fallen off the radar a bit. Um, this term's a bit manic, and I tried to do something else with one of my evenings with my husband. And that kind of et into the time. Sure. And where do you get your knitting support then when you need help? When things have all gone to pants? Ravelry. Mm-hmm. If I'm not actually taking something to the knit group, which I have been known to do before, which is just arrive with something and just go, help me! <laughs> then it, it's looking online, really. Um, but I have a couple of people that I do phone. Uh-huh. So I'll phone... Um, you know, I'll phone a couple of friends and go, look, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? And they'll go, don't even touch it or, you know, try it this way. So I have, I do have a lot of people I can turn to, both people in, in real life and people online. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. The, the strangest thing is that my mum kind of and phones me for knitting advice. Not that she knits much very much uh-huh. anymore, but uh-huh. she does it just ask me for advice. That feels really strange. Yeah. And my aunt for, asks me for crochet advice, <laughs> and that's even weirder, because she knits, and my mum would never dream of asking her for knitting advice. <laughs> so she asks me instead. Um, and then my aunt asks me for crochet advice, which is just odd. <laughs> I think there is this generational difference. I think there, you know, there are people of a certain age, and I, I don't even mean a specific age group, but people who learn to knit a specific way, and that's the way they learn to knit. You know, if they make socks, they know how to make socks one way, or they know how to knit something in the shape of a square or rectangle, but they don't know how to make something that's, you know, a tube or something to fit a foot. And And I think younger people or people who are tech savvy and have really looked online people are knitting things like socks and mobius cowls and all sorts of things and and so i think there are people who've been knitting for 40 years who don't know half as much as somebody who's been knitting for five yeah i think that um, my mum would would put herself in that category. Uh-huh. Certainly, when she's looked at me knitting things in the round, like the very first jumper that went over my head was an Elizabeth Zimmerman percentage jumper. Uh-huh. And she just looked at me and went, "Oh, oh, you're not doing it in pieces, right?" And I looked at her and went, "No, I hate seaming. Uh-huh. You know, I hate seaming. Uh-huh. I will do anything to avoid having to seam things together if I can possibly help it." So it it she was just completely floored by it. Uh-huh. And I, I did. I think you're right, but I still find that odd. Yeah. That 
she views me as the expert yeah when i don't view myself as one yeah at all yeah but just the fact that you know i find because i listened i've been listening to podcasts and i've listened to so many podcasts and i've been hunting and pecking around ravelry for some years i've just been exposed to so many more types of construction and types of knitting and and attitudes toward different types of knitting i just think my the breadth of what i've been exposed to is so much larger than than people who don't do anything online yeah i think as well the the bit that's different is that of course that when my mum was knitting she was knitting at home on her own uh-huh right yeah and everybody she knew knitted at home on their own yeah so you never saw anyone else knit and when you go to a knit group and you physically see 20 knitters all holding their needles in very slightly different positions, all holding their yarns in different positions, or tensioning their yarns in different positions, uh-huh. you suddenly realize there is no right or wrong way to do something. Right. And, and I think possibly my mum and other people of a similar generation who only ever knitted at home just don't see that there's one way to do it. Uh-huh. One way to hold your yarn, one way to hold your needle. Uh-huh. Um, and I, it's that I don't, I think there's probably way more efficient ways to hold your yarn and needles than I hold them. Sure. But it's the way I do it and it's the way I'm comfortable with. And I can flip between English and continental. Mm -hmm. And if I remember to do it continental, I knit a lot faster, but I seldom start continental and therefore I can't change halfway through. Mm. But I do, I know there's different ways. And I think, I think that's probably the the biggest thing that's opened it out to me is actually just knitting with other people at the group. All right, Nick, we're going to move on to the next section. Okay. Ready? Mm -hmm. I think you've covered this one already, but your dream project, is it the Fair Isle piece? Do you know, I think at the moment it probably is. Uh Uh-huh. Something, um, I don't know. I was going to say something by Alice Stummel, but actually... Everything I've got fair out of hers is of a very boxy design because it's from the end of the 80s, early 90s. Uh-huh. Um, whereas if you look at things like the Venezia or the Autumn Rose by Yuni Zhang, they've got that fitted shape to them and such beautiful motifs and colours in them that they just make my mouth water. Uh-huh. Um, that and then there's there's a gorgeous one called Lissuin by Anne Kingston that's just beautiful as well and again it's got that fitted shape to it so something stranded but that has more of a fitted shape is what you're thinking and steaked yeah i think so i think so steaked also with it definitely definitely with a steak okay huh yeah what about a dream fiber do you pay attention to the fibers that you work with much um i it's not so much an animal so much as the whole Britishness, mm. which sounds really weird, but since I've been working on the wool sack cushions, the whole point of the wool sack cushions is to only work with British yarn. Uh-huh. And if you go into a standard yarn shop in Britain, it's really hard to find a British yarn. Uh-huh. You have to hunt around for them because most of the, even the companies like Rowan these days don't don't tend to mill and produce a great anything really in. Um, Britain they only do the it's only the pure British breeds that's done exclusively in Britain um so like cocoon I think is made in South Africa and one of some of the others are made in Italy okay so 
hunting out the British yarns and then just working with them has just been a delight because I've started to work with breed specific wool. Oh, you have? Like Blueface Leicester. Uh-huh. And, um, and currently I've been spinning some um, Cheviot, which is just, I can't wait to knit that up because it's got a really nice feel to it as I've been spinning it. Uh-huh. And the singles are really nice. So it's my actual dream fibre is actually just British breed specific wool. I don't really care. I mean, some things are not as nice to work with on your fingers. So like Herdwick's quite scratchy. Uh huh. Um, but then it's a very, it's a very scratchy kind of wool. So, but it felt beautifully. So it depends on what you're working, what you're wanting to make with it. Um, Can you name some brands? Some some breeds of sheep. Some some brands, some of, brands yarn. of yarn. Right. Um, my some of my favourite ones at the moment are from a, a company called Sheepfold. Okay. They're based up in Cumbria, and it's two ladies. Uh-huh. And they they started off putting kits together to make felted bags, but they've expanded it now so that they are selling the yarn direct as well, not just in kits. Uh-huh. And they do a lot of breed specific. Um yarns but they also do um some blends so they've got one that's called clotted cream which is an Aran weight which is a cream one of a blend of different british breeds and that's just gorgeous uh-huh. and methra which is just i hate the phrase as soft as buttered kittens uh-huh. <laughs> um or you know because whenever they whenever people talk about like malabrigos being as soft as butter yeah. like all i can imagine is is knitting there with with sticky hands uh-huh. <laughs> You know, I mean, I love butter, but I love it on my toast. Uh-huh. I don't, re- you know. So whenever anyone says that phrase, I always just, I kind of physically recoil, uh-huh. just simply because I just have this image then of knitting with greasy hands that are just there. Uh-huh. But Methra is a blend of four British breeds, which I can't remember, obviously off the top of my head. One of them is Jacob, um, and it's a brown color, and it's. I realized after I talked about it on the podcast, actually, it's called Methra because Methra is the Cumbrian word for four. Um, Yan, Tan, Tethra, Methra. That's counting to one, one, two, three, and four uh, in the Cumbrian dialect. And um, I just learned is... something I had never heard before. Okay, continue. Oh, oh, it gets even better. Okay. Now, I don't know all of the numbers, but I used to live in Cumbria. Uh-huh. The Cumbrian counting system isn't a base 10 counting system. It's a base 15. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I know. How weird is that? Um, I can't remember any of the numbers past four. Okay. I'd have to find them. But but when they were counting their sheep, they'd count them in basically in multiples of 15. Huh. Rather than multiples of 10. So our our Arabic counting system is based entirely on base 10. Sure. Everything is in multiples of 10. And, and the Cumbrian one was originally in 15s. So there you go. And are there still people who, who count in 15s? there i don't know okay i don't know when i was living up in cumbria 20 years ago there were it was certainly dying out okay um whether there was whether there is still any farmers in the very remote hills who use that counting system i don't know okay and so these could, two women up there their their company is called sheepfold yeah okay a sheepfold is um a ring of effectively a ring of stones that were up in the fell to shelter the sheep. Okay. Okay. So, um, so they they sell. It's mainly um, natural, coloured, uh-huh. but they have branched out into some dyed ones. 
Okay. Um, which are really rather gorgeous. Another company that um, I like that does a lot of, that probably has the widest range of British breed specific yarn in a range of weights as well. Uh-huh. Um, because sheepfold tend to focus on the Aran weight and a bit of DK. Um, so that's kind of worsted and sport equivalent, I suppose, in American. Um, but Blacker Yarns, based down in Cornwall, um, set up by Sue Blacker. She set up a mill. From what I understand, she either set up the mill or, or started working with the mill. And they have probably the widest range of British breed-specific yarns in the country. And they have a wide range of weights as well. Ah. So, um, so if you want to go and search out some kind of black Hebridean in a lace weight, that that would be where you'd go, I think, uh-huh. to go and get it. And it's just working with all of them has just been a joy. It's been the the biggest thing I've got out of of actually getting involved in the Woolsack project is just seeing the range of British sheep and fleece and the differences in it and then it just makes me want to scream when I wander into a, a shop and I can't even find something that's 100% wool let alone 100% British wool and so is this you know I've heard things and I'm wondering if it's true is this really being celebrated and government supported this um, the industry the British wool industry is there a revival it's, of support for it it's trying to. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest supporters is actually the Prince of Wales. That's what I heard. Uh-huh. He's, he's very, I mean, it's really interesting. 20 years ago, he would be laughed at in the media for being a bit of a tree hugger. Uh-huh. Someone who was into the ecosystems and, you know, ecologically minded. And, and now people aren't laughing because I think they've realised that he had a point all along. Uh-huh. And he is he was massively behind the campaign for wool, which has been um, a separate thing from the Woolsack project, but it's been running on similar timescales. And the campaign for wool was basically to just lift the whole profile of the British wool industry. And it is significantly better than it was. But you still have to, I think, if you want to get a range of British um, wool, you have to either go to a, one of the big shows like Woolfest in Cumbria or Wonderwall Wales. Uh-huh. It's no good going to one of the knitting and stitching shows, really, that are in London or in the big exhibition centres, the kind of equivalent of your stitches. Okay. Because they have so many different crafts that they don't have... It's not knitting oh. and, and not wool-specific, whereas Woolfest and Wonderwall Wales, um, and then there are a couple of others as well, um, do focus on the fibre. But when you actually walk around a, a British high street, in some towns you'll be lucky if there's a wool shop. And in other towns, what you'll get is what I've got in Northwich, which is a, a really good, serviceable yarn shop uh-huh. that sells acrylic-based yarns for knitting baby clothes and toddlers and, and some women's fashions. And there'll be, there'll be yarns that are maybe as much as 51% wool. Mm. But the rest will be acrylic. Sure. And and that's that was what British yarn shops were like. And I'm really lucky in terms of the, the, the yarn shop that I go to that's not in Northwich, it's in Nutsford, is it has a, a wider range. So it has some things from indie dyers and it has some different labels. And it has the, the expensive big brands like Rowan, but it has other things as well. But even that doesn't have very many British yarns. Okay. So... Blacker is probably the com- the company people would have to go to if they wanted to stop them in a shop. Okay. 
All right, back to my little list of questions here. Is there a project that is intimidating for you, or is there a technique that's intimidating? What scares you, Nick? Um, lace, lace weight yarn. Oh, okay. I think I, I have done lace, and I've done it in fingering weight. I've not used, apart from Kid Silk Haze, which doesn't count because it's got that fuzziness, so it makes it feel thicker than lace weight yarn. Uh-huh. It's, it doesn't work in the same, it doesn't behave in the same way. Uh-huh. Um, trying to really find needles with fine yarn is probably the scariest thing. I keep thinking that I would quite, you know, as well, the, the other dream project is not so much a dream project as a, I would never be able to knit. It's a, a wedding ring shawl, which are big, big shawls knitted on a one-ply Shetland that is so fine that you can draw it through a wedding ring. But Nick, it's it's just one stitch at a time. But so, it's one tiny stitch at a time. <laughs> True. And, and the problem is that, that when I work with needles, even working on sock needles, one of the reasons that I don't do as much work with the socks as I used to is that I get cramp just holding 2.25s. Oh. Uh-huh. So I think hands are cramping up a little bit with the small needles. So I think that's probably it. It's more the fear of the pain. <laughs> <laughs> the fear of the pain and the fear of of the agony when I discover that I made a mistake 25 rows back. Oh, I was wondering if that was it, if it was the thought, oh, I could drop a stitch, not realize it, and have a big hole in the beautiful lace project. Yeah, I think that's it. If I drop, I dropped a stitch on my Elizabeth Zimmerman percentage sweater and I didn't discover it for 40 rows. Uh-huh. And I just dropped the stitch down next to it, knitted the two together, picked the stitch back up again and then cast on an extra one at the top uh-huh. and no one would know. Sure. I don't think you could do that on that fine lace weight. So you, I'd have to pay a bit more attention. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the scariest thing is, is doing lace on really, really fine lace yarn. The hands will hurt and, and I will cry. It will be full of tears. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you would consider uh, a tiny little project on a very fine lace weight yarn. And I'm thinking think something that you would frame. I was going to say, I think that's probably the way to go with it, actually. Uh-huh. To get used to it and get over it is to actually do something small. Uh-huh. Um, I just need to stop procrastinating and get on with it, really. Sure. Well, you need to not have a job to distract you. Uh, yeah, I need to win the lottery. <laughs> right. Winning the lottery would be good. But I, I found that there is a flaw in my plan, which is that apparently you do have to actually buy the ticket. Uh-huh. And I think that's where I'm going uh-huh. wrong. <laughs> All right, something that's just not interesting to you, a project or a technique that just doesn't hold your interest. Um, I made an entrelac bag. Uh-huh. It was okay. I like the effect. I'm not rushing to do anything with entrelac. Okay. Yet. That's probably it. I like the effect, but I just, it was very fiddly uh-huh. for, the, for the effect that you got. So what part of the knitting is most exciting for you or most satisfying to you? I love the planning uh-huh. and the casting on. Okay. And then even last night I was sat down with um, the back of a cushion. Uh-huh. So, of course, it's really boring. It's just 64 stitches on an hour in weight stocking stitch for, bleh, I don't know, 80 rows. Uh-huh. But even that was just, it's just really soothing. It's just the actual process. I like it. And being able to sit there and see how much it had grown over, over the evening was really cool. I, do, I, like, I just like watching it grow. Uh-huh. 
I hate weaving in the ends mm. and I really don't like seaming. So I kind of just like, that's why I told you on that, on that desert Island, I'd be quite happy with one ball of yarn and yeah. needles, rip it yeah. back, knit it again, yeah. rip it back. You know, I could make it into a hat. Then the next time I knit it, I could make it into a scarf. And then the next time I knit it, I could make it into uh-huh. flippers, you know, anything. So it's the planning, the starting and the watching it grow, I think. What is it about seaming that you don't like? I hear this a lot that people don't like to seam, but what is it about seaming that you don't like? Is it just boring? I think it's more that that I'm not the most accomplished seam, seamstress. Okay. So if it's a straight edge, it's fine because I can mattress stitch it and I know it will look uh-huh. good. But if it's setting in a sleeve where there's a slight curve, I'm worried that all the hours that I've put into knitting it are ruined by puckering something Got it. and just n- bodging it together and just not making it look as nice. So it's not the process of seaming that you don't like. It's that thought of, will this be a nicely finished piece or will this, will I be ruining yeah, this project? I, yeah. yeah, I think okay. so. And, and I mean, I, I joke about it. And actually, I've seen so many things for the Woolsack project now that if I really did have a phobia, I'd have to have got over it by uh-huh. now. So I know I know it's not, it, it's it's more, yeah, there is this worry that I'll, I'll wreck it. But actually, it's also that I am just fundamentally very lazy. And if it's off the needles and virtually done, then it's a winner. <laughs> so I've had this suspicion when I when I hear people say that they don't like seeming. I've had this suspicion that it's that it's one or the other. Either one people uh, don't like it because they resent it a little bit because they when they cast off they like to be finished and then oh there's still the seeming to do and they feel a bit resentful that they're not finished and that's the ticket for them and then other people that I that it's it's a little bit of fear and uncertainty that makes them not like seeming because they're not sure if they're doing it well yeah yeah I would yeah. Say so. and certainly that's how I started with it I started with it thinking that I was likely to cobble the seams and ruin uh-huh. And I know in my heart of hearts that actually most of the time I won't now because I know how to finish it properly. But it is just fundamentally lazy now. Okay. <laughs> now you've mentioned that you also spin. And, yes. and that informs your knitting because you're able to explore some breed-specific spinning. Is, are there any other crafts that you combine with knitting? Do you do anything multimedia? Um... Do you know? No, I don't. I don't even think I've crocheted a border on it. Okay. I don't think. Uh, I'm trying to think. So knitting is compartmentalized. Uh, yeah, ha- yeah, but not, not because I see it that uh-huh. way. It's just that I haven't seen anything that grabs me enough to, to do anything else with it. I think. All right. Are you ready to move on to the big dreams section? Go on. Design your perfect local yarn shop. And you tell me, is this a local yarn shop that will be yours? You will own and run it? Or is this one that you'll visit? Um, I, I suspect I would be involved in it some way. And let me explain right. why. Um, because my ideal yarn shop is based a little bit on the one that I go to in Nutsville, Okay, which has big tables in the middle so that people can sit down and knit so there's a table and there's seats and you can sit down and you know sit around and chat and have Uh coffee but I wanted to be bigger than that because 
I want there to be a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it would be quite hard for it to have every single type of yarn in uh -huh. the world. But if this is my dream, I could. Sure, you could. I could, you know, I could even arrange things, you know, by continent. You could, yeah. So you've kind of got European yarns and Australian yarns and American right. yarns. And, you know, that, that's kind of, I'm quite interested with that, by that concept. Because it would obviously need, it would need a really big British wool right. section for all right. the different breed specific stuff. And then if you're thinking about breed specific, then obviously you need to have room for um, the breeds that we don't tend to have in Britain, but are popular. So like the Merinos and um, the Polwas and the Rambolets and stuff uh -huh. like that. You know, it's going to need to be quite big. Okay. And because I spin as well, then it needs to have a fibre section as well as a yarn okay. section. So that you can, as well as buy, you know, yarn if you want to buy yarn, you can go and buy fibre. Right. So that's, you know, that's one section. But then as I was kind of dreaming this and thinking about this, I realised that actually I want to take it one more step again. So as well as it being a big community space so it is it so that there is that sense of community there so you can sit you can chat you can drink coffee you can look at fiber you can look at yarn uh -huh. i also actually want it to be somewhere that's got space at the back because i want actually fiber animals there oh and i suspect that although i don't necessarily want to do the day-to-day -day running of the shop uh -huh. i would quite like to be involved in the animal husbandry side uh -huh. and I'd quite like there to be teaching space there as well and I again I don't think necessarily I'd be doing any other teaching because I don't know that I'm I am a teacher and I am a knitter but I don't think I can teach people to oh. knit because I've tried several times and not succeeded okay. very well um but I'd like it to have some teaching space but I'd like to be involved in in sort of the animal husbandry side at the back interesting so i'd like there to be some sheep and i'd like there to be some alpaca my primary school when i was a child we had um we had sheep uh -huh. at school um and it was just great i loved it i loved you know we, were, we weren't allowed as children to do much apart from go and have a look at them and chuck some sheep nuts sure. down for them to nibble on but it was just it was fantastic being there when rosie she was a jacobs and she, uh, jacob and she had three uh -huh. lambs that we called Tom, Dick and Harry. And it was, it was fantastic, like seeing them being born and looking after that. And my whole, my mother's family come from um, the Welsh hills um, and our farming family. And my cousin is, um, she's engaged to a farmer. So it, we've still got farming in the family. And I would, the older I get, the more I would quite like to get involved in that side. Would there be a muscat so out there? Dream, do you know... I couldn't see why not if someone will give me enough information on how to care for uh -huh. it properly. Um, you know, the name muskox just kind of sounds smelly. <laughs> will it be smelly? I don't know if they really, or, if they are. No, no, I don't. I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about them at all. But it, it's just my dream for when I win the lottery that I don't buy a ticket sure. for is to have a, a small holding with alpaca and it was always just alpaca, but in the last 18 months, it's been a real, I really would like some sheep, really would like mm. some sheep. My cousin thinks I'm mad. And she's refused to do the account, she's an accountant, she's refused to do the accounts on farming rates. And her fiance has refused point blank to shear my alpaca. <laughs> so I'm very, 
I'm I'm very upset. Where, where is the family feeling here? <laughs> How does hmm? your husband feel about this dream? Well, he feels that there is an untapped market for alpaca burgers. <laughs> but I keep telling him that I keep telling him that that if the South Americans didn't eat it when they eat guinea pig, but they wouldn't eat an alpaca, there's probably there's a good probably reason, reason for that. For that. Yep. So, um, no, he's it's uh, it's something that we laugh about, and he is such a town i mean i'm a townie Uh but he's a real real i mean he doesn't even know kind of which end of a sheep is which he actually he actually i i'm i took him to the northumberland show last year um with his parents and and i made him touch the back of a sheep that hadn't been Uh shorn and he kind of went oh it it feels woolly (laughs) you're like yeah because it's a sheep it will he was quite surprised. I don't know what he thought it was going to feel like. I don't know if he thought it was going to feel like like the cat when he struck uh-huh. the cat. I don't know what he thought it was going to feel like. He was quite stunned by it. So he he is behind me all the way, but says he will not help. Yeah, he's me. he's many 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 steps behind you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same as as the day with the bubble house. Right. Yeah. He's no, he's he's very supportive of that dream, but is just quite thankful. I think that I don't actually buy the lottery yeah. ticket. But but that's what I would like to do. I, my yarn, my dream yarn shop would be quite a large building, would take up quite a bit of space and would have a big social community area, but would have the animals. And I suspect it would also have some kind of education side to it. Sure. Because I find that um, I work on the outskirts of Liverpool and my children have no idea where food comes from and they have no idea where the the materials that the fabrics that their clothes are made from uh-huh. come from so i would like to to kind of be involved education wise uh-huh. in that but that sounds terribly worthy doesn't it it's nice i like it now if you could keep a knit designer as a pet and perhaps this knit designer could be the pet for your yarn shop <laughs> yes. who would that person be can i have two yes and you decide whether they share the same cage in your in your yarn shop <laughs> I'm not going to keep either of them in a cage. I have met both of these ladies and they are just absolutely uh-huh. lovely. One is Carol Feller, uh-huh. an Irish designer. She designs um, under the Stolen Stitches name. And I met her a couple of years ago. And she designs garments that use cables. And she had a book out, um, I think it came out last year, called Contemporary Irish right. Knits. Everything I've seen her design, I love. She uses cables in an interesting way. She has a whole range of different things. So everything is it's different. So it's not, um, you know, a cable jumper that looks pretty similar to the last cable jumper. It's everything is just uh-huh. fresh. It looks fresh, but looks classic. And so I really like that. And she's she's a really good laugh. She's really, really lovely. And then the other person is um, a designer called Anne Kingston, uh-huh. who self-publishes and she designs a lot of things inspired by books so a number of her garments will be inspired by harry potter for example anything really she's designed things um inspired by the narnia books and again there's a whole range of different style of things so there can be lace work in there there'll be cables in there there'll be gorgeous fair isle things um and she designed um, a, a brilliant vest, actually, that I've, I'm determined I, that I actually have the yarn uh-huh. for, um, called the Great British Vest, which is a stranded 
vest with a steak and it's got flags of the um, countries of the United Kingdom in there, so the English, the Scottish, the uh, symbols from Ireland and um, Scotland. So I think there's leeks in it, roses in it, shamrocks in it, um, thistles in it, little sheep all over the place. It's just and that's fabulous. Anne Kingston. The great, that's Anne Kingston, yeah. And she's lovely as well. She's she's really nice. I've, I actually interviewed her on the podcast a couple of years ago and she's just the nicest person that you could imagine. She's just she's from Yorkshire as well, so she's really down to earth and she's just lovely. So I would like both of them, but I don't want to keep either of them in a in a cage. <laughs> well, you... I, I think that would be really cruel. But they would be very good at doing the um, teaching on the uh, in the yarn shop because they both do teach, um, and Carol Feller particularly does an amazing course which I've not done but I would love to about different types of short rows oh because I just thought a short row was a short row but she's actually done loads of work on investigating all sorts of different ways and which ones suit which type of project uh-huh. best so she's really into techniques and things like that so and I love all that kind of engineering aspect of it I think that's great you know Carol Feller and perhaps Anne Kingston too should um but Carol Feller for sure because she's Irish she should do a podcast do you think I think do you think she'd fit it in? She has four boys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, did, <laughs> she has quite a busy did life. Did you talk to her? Do you think we should work did on you, that? Did you talk to her? Or did I hear someone else interview her? Not very long ago. A Playful Day. Okay. I think, I think it was. I think it was Green Triangle Girl over on a Playful Day. She's in. Okay. Her, I re- because I remember that she had these four boys that she was raising. Yeah. 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 Well, you would you would help her if she was the the knit designer pet of your yarn shop yeah we could um come together as a village and help with the boys and make sure she had some time for the podcast yeah excellent yep i like it well and those are two fabulous designers as you've been talking i've been just looking them up online and yes i like i like both yeah very nice stuff very nice stuff (sighs) that you know the list the the list of uh designers I would like to to knit with and uh, it just goes on and on because there I there is there, there's no end yeah. to it, is there? because as fast as you find one that you think there are three or four things that you'd like to find someone else mentions something and then you go right you know you find right someone else. The, the list just it does it goes on and on we're really rich in the diversity of designers and just all so talented well, if you could be the knit designer to anyone in the world, who would you design for? Now, this was is an interesting one because I've been trying to think who I would, and I've sort of batted several ideas around, uh-huh. um, and I've ended up with I've ended up with one which is possibly not one, but I'm just I'm intrigued. She's I don't know I don't know very much about her, but what I've seen her wear is always really interesting, and it's. Um, Florence Welsh out of the uh, group Florence and the Machine. She's very striking. She's tall with very long red hair and she wears interesting stage outfits. They are not Lady Gaga type stage uh-huh. outfits by uh-huh. any means, but they are intriguing and interesting and she tends to do things like climb the speaker <laughs> at the festival. So they need a reasonable amount of robustness. Um, and she doesn't really follow fashion, from what I can uh-huh. see. She seems to sort of set them a bit more. 
but she definitely has her own style and i'm just i would be interested in designing some if if i had the skills designing some things for her simply because i would be interested to see her what she would do with them because i suspect that you might design something that you think she might use as a, a jumper and she'd change it and use it somewhere else as pants maybe you know, <laughs> yeah cut up cut up the seam and use it as a cape or something she's i'm i'm quite interested by her visually uh-huh. she's she's very striking and i just thought it was it would be interesting because i just if, if you know i don't know i'm i'm not i don't think i've got a great sense of design skill but when i look at, at people that have you know that other people have mentioned i can go oh yeah that's fine and that's very classic but actually i just would be interested with what someone would do when they were kind of subverting it yep sure she could direct you if she mm, she has the yeah. sense of style she could just say all right well i want it to be big over here and flowy over here yeah yeah and she'd probably make me do it in lace weight <laughs> right <laughs> because she's she wears a lot of very floaty things uh-huh. so i would have to conquer that you lace would. weight for you wouldn't would. I? But I think also um, probably when she's when she has such a large personality on stage, she probably also needs things for those times that she just wants to snuggle in and forget that the rest of the world exists. So she'll she'll have those things. You could potentially have your little group of elves, and or you could borrow Hoxton's elves. I think she has quite a group, and they could do the big uh, or the the flowy tiny little knitting for you, and you you. You could um, maybe do the big sweaters that, the tunic length sweaters that she just wants to lay around the house in. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could always farm out the fiddly bits. Yeah. Excellent. That would be interesting. It would be interesting to take someone with a, with a large pers- on-stage personality and design for them. I like that idea. You know, it's, but it would be, I, I can't imagine that, Lady Gaga would want anyone else designing for her anyway. I suspect she designs her own things. So I was thinking, you know, someone a sure. bit different. And again, that kind of British right. view of it. Nice. So, nice. And, and my husband would really just like to see Lady Gaga in a nice pair of jeans <laughs> and a nice blouse. And just sat at the piano singing because he, said, he keeps saying, she has such a good voice and she plays so well. Why does she keep doing these things? <laughs> She's an artist, That's right. dear. She's not just a singer. She's an uh-huh. artist. <laughs> so are there people or is there a specific person you can think of in the world who would benefit from learning to knit? Every politician in the cabinet okay. at the moment. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I'm obviously making the sweeping generalization that they don't sure. know how uh-huh. to. But I, I have no idea if you have any idea what's going on over here in Britain at the moment. We are having a delightful crisis that has been brought about entirely by the cabinet. There is the potential for the fuel tanker drivers to have a strike um, over their terms and conditions. And, but under the British rule, uh, British laws, you cannot um, have a strike without giving a week's notice. And that has to happen after certain interventions have taken place to try and avert the uh-huh. strike. So we are talking that this strike, if it were to happen, will not happen for at least another 10 huh. days. And at the beginning of last week, somebody in the, um, in the cabinet, in the government, advised us all to store petrol in jerry cans before it... Oh, burned. boy. So there has been pandemonium on the forecourts where people have literally been panic buying <laughs> petrol, which is... 
frustrating to say the least when actually you genuinely do need right. some petrol because uh, I mean I travel 35 miles a day on a round trip to work my husband travels uh-huh. 70 we do get through a reasonable amount of petrol and I did need it and but jerry cans are not the things that you should be storing petrol in because they're not uh-huh. safe and um some lady who should have known better but would not have been doing this had the government not told her to panic uh-huh. buy tried to decant some in her kitchen two days ago <gasps> two days ago yes the gas was on because she was cooking her dinner uh she's currently in hospital with 40 degree burns <gasps> and and obviously bringing petrol into her, the house is an idiotic thing to do and she should have known better but she wouldn't have been trying to decant it into a jug to give to her daughter had the government not caused this crisis by telling everyone that there was going to be no fuel over the Easter break and therefore they had to go and fill up their tanks as soon as possible. So I am quite cross with the government at the moment, (laughs) as are the vast majority of the British electorate. And um, if I think that there's anyone who needs to learn to knit, it's it's the entire cabinet at the moment because they just need to sit down and focus on the little (laughs) things because they are just... They can't do the big stuff at the minute. They just, there's no idea. We're going to hell in a handcart in the economy. And then they're telling us all to go and panic buy petrol. And people are. And it's just chaos. They've had people arrested on four cots for rioting almost. Trying to get the last petrol out of somewhere. It's just That mad. is mad. So there you go. So I think every politician, and you should not be allowed to enter politics until you've proven that you can nick <laughs> I, I have no idea whether that would actually solve any of the problems in the world, but it would at least put off the ones that really it couldn't be bothered, but were only in it for the yeah. glory. But you'd really have to monitor that because you know they would have an intern <laughs> secretly locked yeah. in the room overnight knitting the sock. Yeah, and you know what? I've just realized as well. Could you imagine they'd be claiming expenses for Kivyet <laughs> when actually they'd just use acrylic? That's a bit of a flaw in the that, plan, that, isn't it? That's an issue right that. there. All right, I'm ready to move on. This is our uh, our final section, Nick. Okay. okay. So the mm-hmm. final section we have to this little podcaster interview is I, I work with this title called Feeling the Knitting. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if knitting has a certain feel for you. What does it feel like for you? You mentioned soothing earlier. Yes, it is. It is the that repetitive movement I find it in spinning as well but it's it started with the knitting and it's the the knitting that I I tend to turn to um because if if I'm feeling actually a bit wound up then trying to spin if I'm too wound up can result in very stretched yarn that's got no Uh knife in it um so if I need it to to soothe me then I'm better knitting um, and so it is, it's just, it's that soothing, repetitive, I love all the fiddly bits when you do do fiddly work, but, but when I'm completely zonked out, there's nothing I like better than a bit of stocking stitch mm. or a bit of garter stitch. It's just great. Just repetitive. It's that whole keep on swimming yeah. Yeah. thing, yeah. but it's just, just another row, just another yeah. stitch. Do you ever dream about it? Does it ever appear in your dreams? Not that I'm aware of, but I don't tend to remember my dreams unless they are particularly disturbing. So I could be. 
and I'm just not aware of it. I The only time that I'm ever aware of it was the day after I went to Harrogate to help out on the Woolsack oh, right. stand to help with the stuffing and became and became involved in the whole Woolsack thing. And I woke up the next morning with a clear vision of a three-braided cable in red, uh-huh. red and blue uh-huh. in my head. Absolutely. And I had to... First, I had to find out, well, you know, where have I seen this pattern? And then I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find anyone who'd ever done cables in uh-huh. three colours. Um, so then I had to design it because I had to get it out of my head. And that, that's, about, that's the only time that I, I remember being in that very, you know, when you, when you first wake, but you don't properly wake and it's very, you're right. in and out. Um, there was, I kept seeing these ribbons, these red, white and blue ribbons, like a uh-huh. bat um, in front of me. And I was chasing them. So that, that so there I have nice. once, and I had to d- design a cable to go with it. <laughs> and now that's actually you've actually knit that one. Yeah. I've knit it. I've knit it in two yeah. cushions, and someone has actually test knit it for me as well. So I have actually got it as a pattern. I just just need to go back to her advice from her test knit and just improve it, and then get it up there. Fabulous. Hi. Yeah, Nick really the designer. Ah. Uh-huh. Yes. Ah. Provided it's flat <laughs> and it's got one cable on it, we're fine. Don't want any shaping. <laughs> you know, that's. I think that's what. What. You know, it, it's trying to make sure. I think part of my problem with the whole fitted things is that that would actually necessitate getting a tape measure out and measuring sure. myself. And that's probably what. Yeah. Why would we want to know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Whereas cushions are right. nice and flat. <laughs> And they're meant to be fluffy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's it. So lessons learned or character traits developed through the knitting? More patience. You have? Mm, Definitely. Okay. Because it is that, because I have most nights I do sit down and do a little bit, even if it's only two rows. It's that soothing, repetitive stuff that, makes me then because I've had that chance to to wind down I think it has made me just always slow down a bit so when I can when I actually feel myself getting wound up at work with my ADHD type behavior which isn't ADHD really but you know exacerbated by too much coffee Uh and chocolate that I actually kind of breathe in through my nose out through my mouth and imagine knitting a row and kind of it slows my breathing down yeah. And that's getting back to what you were saying about the government. That's really the character trait that we would hope knitting would foster in them is just this ability to slow down and have some thoughtful time to be considered in their reactions to things. Yes. What about decisions that you may have made differently in your life because you're a knitter? Does it affect your decision making or your or your outlook on the world? Um, I'm going know. to come up with one um, answer does, for you. I'm going to answer this question. It does for make you. me go on. In part, I'm going to come up with this part. I think you see the uh, the wool industry or the potential for the, the Britishness of this craft, and and I think that's that British thing is different because you've experienced this knitting yes yes if I hadn't been involved in knitting I would probably have never even heard of the Uh water project because it hasn't had much in the national media that's not the knitting Uh media 
so yeah you're right actually um my great great yeah i think it was my great great grandfather did work in a woolen mill in, in uh-huh. Yorkshire. um so i do have some kind of tenuous link back in history and i am a bit of a history geek so i i would have no doubt stumbled across it and been interested by it do you appreciate that more because you're knitting do you do you appreciate that piece of your family history or do you think about it differently because you're knitting i think i probably i I, it's just the general sadness involved um when i just contemplate the end of the 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 manufacturing well the mill industry in britain but actually you could apply that to my sadness towards the end of any of the manufacturing industries in Britain that uh-huh. has gone over the last 40, uh-huh. 50 years. But uh, but I think I discovered that before I'd really started knitting again and I still felt quite proud about it, even though I wasn't a knitter at that point. Um, I think becoming a knitter has probably made me just feel more passionate okay. about it. it. It does affect, you know, when we go on holiday that I do sometimes go to places simply because I've heard there's a good uh-huh. one. <laughs> I didn't really say that. <laughs> I, I yeah, did, you did. I? You <laughs> said it out loud. You can cut it, though. You can always uh-huh. edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> in case, in case can, you I. think it would sound shallow. But I think the people who listen to this would uh, would appreciate that. I I think, you know... It would be nice to be deep all the time, but there are bits of me that are shallow. <laughs> I'm still no, waiting I'm for the podcaster to, to pop up. The person who is, oh, maybe it's the person who is buying the lottery ticket. The person who is independently wealthy and has all the time and freedom in the world to uh, roam around the world, uh, going to yarn shops and fiber producing areas and doing a podcast just about travel and knitting that i I know can you imagine with that knitting and podcast i love it oh wow that is just superb i mean what a yeah oh yeah (laughs) yep i would i would love i would be salivating every episode you know every two weeks or every week waiting for the next episode to come to find out where that person is and you know what's being explored next oh that's yeah yeah oh i'm just i'm sorry i'm just off on this yeah can you imagine just living vicariously (laughs) through someone who can who can go to all of these different places and really explore the the industry at that level but what it really needs to be is, right, you need to take it one more step. So it needs to be truly interactive. Uh-huh. So what happens is that after they, they announce that they're going to a particular country or a particular uh-huh. area, then the listeners tell them where uh-huh. to go. Nice. Wouldn't yeah, and cool? they could take a month. Because then you could... Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't know that I'm ever going to get to Australia. Uh-huh. You know, I could find all about it through them going to visit the places I want them sure. to visit. They would need to go back a few <laughs> times, spend oh, God, a month yeah. in different areas. Yep. Yeah. But if you were of independent means, yep. then you could easily do that, right. couldn't you? And, you know, Nick, I, I potentially I would do that. If I had a, um, a sponsor 
some very wealthy uh, multi-billionaire sponsor who would just be willing to, you know, just pay for my life for a number of years while I travel the world exploring all these things. Well, you know, you'd probably have to elbow a few people out Probably. Of the <laughs> <laughs> I think there might be a queue. In, in my dream, though, the person <laughs> comes directly to me. And says, I oh, would well, like, right, I would like someone to do this. I've decided that the someone should be you. And, uh, you know, would you be so kind as to fulfill my dream and do this for me? I'll pay for it if you will do it. Because actually I get homesick and I can't possibly leave my house, but I need Absolutely. To Absolutely. Yes. Do you know anyone like that? <laughs> I, well, I haven't gotten that phone call yet. Yeah. Shame. I should answer my phone more. <laughs> <laughs> When those unknown numbers pop up, I should maybe pick up. That's yeah. What... Yeah, that could be it. That could be. That could be someone from the Getty <laughs> Correct. family. Correct. Just... This person is trying to reach me now. <laughs> Prince Charles is trying to reach me. <laughs> <laughs> because he's far too busy to go oh, to Bolivia. God. and Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Prince Charles needs me to do this for him. All right, but this is about me. I'm wondering plans for the podcast, Nick. Where is your podcast going? Well, oh, 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 in the I... conservatory. By oh. the way, congratulations. I, I want to come sit in your conservatory for an afternoon. Oh, there, there's a spot. There's Thank a spot you. Here Thank just you. Just for you. And I'll even put the kettle on and make it. Nice. <laughs> Not a big tea drinker, but I'll right. have a tea with you. So um, where am I going? Well, I've I've started a little something this um, within the last month or so of little postcards. So although I'm not travelling the uh -huh. world, I am I am visiting little. Parts You've gone of as far as Manchester, for example. I know it's just <laughs> woohoo a whole hour away. <laughs> no, I'm you did. The lakes as yeah. well. No, and I have I have a few um, more because our our families are scattered around uh -huh. the country which I know is not the same scale, but it, it's, you know, my parents are 150 miles away uh -huh. to the south and Andy's are 180 miles uh -huh. to the north. So we have, we do kind of travel around a bit when it comes to the holidays. So we have a few more postcard venues nice. in mind. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to ever be able to do a soundtrack the way I did for the Manchester one though. The Manchester music scene did lend itself very nicely because the era was just uh -huh. right for me. But, the, you know, it's, I was quite intrigued by that idea. And it, it all started from the, the feedback I had when I was at the um, Grand Canyon, actually, yeah. in the summer. And, and that sort of, it planted a seed that didn't really germinate for a while. But then I just thought that it might be quite interesting to see where I could take it. So that, that's kind of probably what, what I'm going to do for a few episodes this year I've got a few places in mind that people might be interested in and it's also an excuse to get out and about nice so you know we have a few day trips planned but then if there's anyone out there who would want to host you who would want to be your sponsor for a weekend I think they should contact you <laughs> oh yeah bring yeah. it on <laughs> bring it on <laughs> I mean I've, I've the sponsorship route's not something I've ever gone down because it's just it's just something that I'm not, I just didn't feel comfortable with in that respect. But if somebody would like to, you know, sponsor a, a Absolutely. weekend, I would, I would certainly discuss <laughs> the option. 
and think about it ethically. Is is Susan Blacker listening? I don't know. Maybe I should Perhaps. send her the link. <laughs> because then you would be fulfilling my dream as well. Yeah, oh, you'd be looking at some okay. British yarns and where they come from and who's championing them. Right? right yep. Okay. Okay. Lovely. I'm taking that I like on it. board. Note <laughs> Cornwall in the summer. <laughs> Nick, I want to thank you for your podcast. I enjoy it so much, and, I, and I'm really excited about the postcards. And, and I've had a fabulous time doing this interview. So have I. I've had a, a blast, an absolute blast. Thank you very, You're very, very much. welcome. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plain. Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plain show page at yarnsfromtheplain.podbean.com. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me at yarnsfromtheplain at googlemail.com, or message me on Ravelry, where I'm Tales from the Plain. Until next time, take care, and thanks for listening. <laughs>